Hi, I'm Tech Sergeant Laura Beckley, and this is the Dover Podcast brought to you by the Innovation Lab. You got a problem? Yo, they'll solve it. Uh, today, we're talking to Lieutenant Jennifer Beckley, who's with the 436 OSS, who is an airfield operations officer. And we also have Captain Dustin Bohall with 436 LRS, who is an operations officer himself. And the reason why we're talking to them today specifically is because they both have a unique story about being prior enlisted and then transitioning over to the officer corps. And, and it sounds like from both of you guys, that was not simple. Uh, Lieutenant Beckley, tell me about what you did as an enlisted member before we start talking about what you're doing now as an officer. Sure, so I enlisted uh, directly out of high school for the most part. I did about a semester of college and um, I enlisted into airfield management as a career field back in 2009. Um, so I, I progressed all the way up to tech sergeant as an enlisted airman and uh, then I had a couple key moments where I really looked at the commissioning path at different points in my enlisted career and eventually decided to commit and, and pursue and earn a commission. Um, I did commission through officer training school, so that's the path that I took. Uh, it, it made the most sense for me at the time. And Captain Bohall, you kind of had a similar experience, but you had a lot more time and enlisted before you decided. Yeah, I was a late bloomer. I uh, came in also right out of high school, uh, no college background, and uh, became a medic uh, working in the clinic. Slowly progressed my way to be a paramedic and an independent duty medical technician. And then when I made master sergeant, I decided to become a first sergeant. And I was actually a first sergeant when I decided to commission. So about almost 15 years enlisted time before I made the leap. And the same as Lieutenant Beckley, I also went to officer training school, OTS, made sense at the time given the background. But it kind of sounds like that enlisted career, like you you had a, a long career. You had almost half of an entire career before you made that decision. What happened um, between, you know, year nine and 10 and year 14, 15, 15, 16, that you were like, man, I, I need to do something different or I want to do something different. Um, can you talk about that, Lieutenant Beckley? Definitely. So, so early in my career as an airman, I had recognized that I really enjoyed having additional responsibility and additional challenges that were maybe just out of what I thought I was capable of doing. Uh, when I was able to succeed in, in, in those small roles as an airman, I, I really felt a lot of joy uh, but but when I became a staff sergeant and I had an opportunity to be a first line supervisor, that's what really changed everything for me. Having having opportunities to uh, serve somebody else and help them reach their career goals, their professional goals, their personal goals really had an impact on me. I recognized at that point that no matter what career I was going to have, whether it be in the Air Force or somewhere else, I had to have that aspect of being involved and, and helping other people. So so in airfield management, I definitely had opportunities to do that as an NCO, as a tech sergeant. Um, I, I, I was able to have that kind of impact on about 17 people or so. Airfield management is a small career field. Um, what commissioning provided me with was a larger scope. So now I'm, I'm responsible for a flight of approximately 120 people. So I, the opportunity is just immense. And for me, it, it gives me a lot of fulfillment and a sense of purpose. But I want to be clear, I think you, you can have that opportunity. You can do that um, both on the enlisted and the officer side. You really got to weigh the pros and the cons of commissioning versus what your career looks like as an enlisted airman. 
Yeah, and I think that we definitely need to talk about that because it's um it's not as simple as stepping into a, a new uniform with a different rank on it and saying, oh, I am this now. Um, it never is. In your your transition, Captain Bullhall, from being enlisted to officer, similar note, but I, I think it was a little more of someone kind of saying no to you. Yeah, well, it, mine wasn't as deliberate as a lot of the young men and women I talked to about commissioning. They have seemed to have this as a, a goal for their whole career. Uh, mine kind of came up last minute. I had uh, tested for senior master sergeant and met the board. I uh, did not board as well as I thought I was going to. I got some feedback from some chiefs on the base at the time and it sounded like from their feedback it was going to take me a few more years. Couple that with the fact that I was a first sergeant at the time and in my role as a first sergeant I was to advise commander on enlisted matters with the health, morale, and welfare. But I noticed that I was always in an advisory role and ultimately the commander, commander in the decision resides with the commander. So I, I kind of saw myself wanting to maybe be the decision authority and take responsibility for those decisions, coupled with being passed over promotion and a good friend of mine trying to commission at the same time, all came together in a perfect storm and I, I decided to put in for it. Not deliberate at all, but uh, decided at the moment it was the best avenue for me and got picked up. It's kind of one of those moments where it's like, well, this didn't wor work out. Let me let me try something different. Yes, absolutely. And it's, it's kind of interesting because um, Lieutenant Beckley and I have talked about this, but the I, the difference between being in command and being in charge and, and what that really means. And um, f for officers, um, as an enlisted member, when I see them in a role of being in command, it really is a, a matter of a, calculating risk, assuming responsibility and saying, okay, if I, if, I make the, if I make the wrong call, I'm willing to own all of that. So for you and your career, it kind of sounded like, I am prepared to take that responsibility on. Is that... Yeah, that's absolutely it. And I think Lieutenant Beckley said it. You can lead and lead large numbers on both sides of the house. I just think the responsibility and the command decision authority is different. And ultimately, I saw both sides because I was a senior NCO, and I decided that my personality and what I wanted to accomplish seemed to reside more on the officer side of the house. So that's probably what drove me over a little bit. Makes sense. I mean, I think uh, personality plays a lot to it as well, you know. Um, there, I know plenty of guys who love turning wrenches on jets, and that's all they want to do, and that's not something you could really do as an officer. For my career field, public affairs, people love shooting photos, love shooting video. If you commission, you become an officer, you can't really do that. So what they wanted out of their career, how they wanted to spend their time, uh, has been very influential in which direction they went. Have you seen a big difference, uh, E to O, for either of you? Definitely, I definitely think that there's a that there's a big difference. Um, like Captain Bohall said, the the command uh, decision authority is pretty cool. It's also pretty scary, in my opinion. Yeah, and then as far as the the hands-on nature of your workload, at least from the logistics officer perspective, I am very much an admin desk decision-making person versus a turning wrench, getting dirty type of work person. So if you're looking at that as something you want to keep on to as a technical expert and stay out in the field working, you do have to realize that the officer's role in the Air Force does tend to be more administrative in nature. And uh, that fit my personality a little better anyway as well. Makes sense. So you both commissioned through um, officer training school. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so I think I think it's important to note the difference between basic military training and officer training school. For for me in 2009, basic training was very um, focused on uh, learning skills, learning attention to detail, being introduced uh, to the military culture. 
but OTS is a is a bit of a different beast. You're you're over the course of about eight weeks, you're really exercising leadership skills, both leadership skills that you have innately or things that come natural to you, the things that you learned throughout college, through your um, education, as well as your experience as a prior enlisted airman. And then OTS, the cadre, is looking for you to incorporate the leadership skills that they're teaching you in the classroom as well. And so you get to exercise that in a bunch of different ways. There's projects, there's teamwork, there's leading your peers, which is, I think, probably for me was one of the most difficult or challenging parts of OTS. But there's a big difference in in that way. So you're saying that there is no bed tossing or snake pit in OTS? (laughs) Not exactly. No. But that was the best part. (laughs) Who doesn't like walking down with your tray, your hands on both feet, like, don't talk to me, don't talk to me, don't talk to me, ah, they saw me. It wasn't quite that strict, but you still had trays and you still ate the chow hall and there was a lot of, you still made your bed. Okay, well, next time I, I talk to one of the lieutenants in my office, I say, was OTS the same? Then we'll compare notes and see. Okay. What about you, <laughs> Captain Bullhall? Um, as a senior NCO, I have to assume that your OTS experience was slightly different. I mean, you know, the, it was interesting because uh, you, had, you had been in the service 14 years, and, and one of my first day or two, I can't remember, the first week is still a blur when you're there. Uh, don't get that confused. The... There's drill instructors there, so the black TI hats, the click boots, all that's still there for the first week or so. So they still get that slight indoctrination. You are treated a bit more like an adult. You're three to a room versus 40 in a hall. Um, but I, I did have a, an OT, what they call an officer trainee, that was a non-prior service come up to me and correct my salute. It's not how you salute in his Air Force. And for me, being in about 15 years at that point, I found it funny. Of course, I, I didn't say anything because at that current training environment, that, that the OT outranked me. Um, but you quickly saw that the instructor cadre identified your prior service and leveraged it to help other people through the program. So you would often be ruined with non-priors. If there was a lesson plan that was difficult or a marching procedure that was difficult, you'd often be put in charge to help them through. So if you're thinking I'm a senior NCO and I'm going through this as a joke, that's not the case. I learned a tremendous amount and I wouldn't change the time I was there or the way it was done at all. But it was a bit eye-opening at first getting yelled at again because it had been so long since I had been yelled at the first time. I, I heard um, at my at my last unit and Lieutenant Beckley, um, I think they actually said this to you, uh, that when you go to OTS, you have to be careful not to self-eliminate. And it sounds like that's kind of a thing that happens with enlisted. They go to OTS and they're like, you know, screw this, I'm out, this is stupid. And they self-eliminate before they even get past that point. Did you see that happen? Was that really a thing? Is that something to be aware of? I personally, I don't think I saw any prior enlisted self-eliminate. I, there were a few um, that were civilians prior and, and OTS was their commissioning source uh, without any prior military experience. Uh, but I, I don't think it's as common as maybe it it might have sounded. Yeah, I, I can't say I saw anybody prior say, nah, this isn't for me. I think at that point, if you're prior enlisted and you've gone through getting selected for the commissioning processes, which is arduous, you're not going to walk away from it from hardly anything. We did have some civilians. Imagine these folks have no military background. They're brought in because they have a special degree we need, but they're not used to the, the rigor of the military. We did have some of those eliminate pretty quickly. That this was not a lifestyle for them. Mm-hmm. But the numbers weren't very high. I would say 10% attrition rate for my class. 
So it sounds like the whole, it's it's really hard and you might self-eliminate. Myth and legend is just that. Myth and legend. I, I, if I you want it, you get it. I can't say that's anything I've seen, no. Right. I mean, the folks that are enlisted that made it to that level, they're so committed to get through. I can't imagine what you'd have to do to get them to quit at that point. Personally, I w it would have taken a lot to get me to walk away from it because getting selected was hard enough as is. Definitely. I mean, it took me a year and a half from submitting a package to actually getting to OTS. There was no way I was going to walk away at that point. That's 18 months of work, not including the degree and all the stuff that you're doing as an active duty member to make yourself eligible. I mean, that sounds pretty awesome. When I was going through basic training in 2009, I probably could have been swayed by an Oreo. I was pretty hungry. <laughs> not the case, yes. <laughs> they never gave us Oreos. I'm pretty um, sure we had Oreos. Yeah. I'm sure you did. <laughs> they don't have that enlisted basic training. No Oreos for anyone. Uh, so now that you've made the transition, you made it through OTS, um, and you, you assume your new roles as um, lieutenants, lieutenant for you, that was a little bit ways back for you, Captain Bohall. How was that transition in the actual workforce? Because the way you lead as an NCO or a senior NCO is very different than the way you lead as an officer. Yeah, uh, so it is different. So I, especially in my situation, I thought being a prior master sergeant, it would just be coming to work with a different uniform on and a different job set, medical versus logistics. Uh, but it's an entirely different world. The, the things you're focused on day to day seem to be at an operational or strategic level versus the tactical. And it seems that officers are held to a bit of a standard when it comes to um, making mistakes and accountability. It doesn't seem to be much leeway on the officer side. I know that may not set well with some folks, but uh, that was my take on it. I noticed an immediate different. You're always on display as an officer. Everything you do is really paid attention to. And I just felt like the leeway to make errors got much slimmer. And that was the first thing that I noticed. For me, for me personally, I, I would say that it was uh, how I mentioned that being a first line supervisor was kind of what like it was what my spark was to mm -hmm. wanting to commission. Uh, for me, making the transition resulted in having to not step in and act like that first line supervisor or solve a problem that was no longer mine to solve, but instead maybe guide the NCO to helping the airman who's having the problem. It's a bit of a, a change of perspective and a change of mindset, and it does take some time, especially if, if being an NCO is something that you um, have a lot of pride in. You know, it takes time to step out of that role, but ultimately it is your job as an officer to guide and lead and mentor NCOs to help those airmen. So I would say that's the biggest transition bump in the road I would that I've perceived. I, I struggled with that as well. I was used to pulling the young airmen in my office and talking to them about some things they could do better or forward, ways forward, and I quickly realized that was not my role anymore. And by doing so, I was snubbing my NCO and my mm -hmm. senior NCO. You learned to transition from that quickly, but if that was something you really had passion doing, you missed that part. You missed being able to have that direct interaction with airmen at that level um, when you transition. And there's also, I think, the the portion where it's you're supposed to be the technical expert when you're the enlisted and I know Lieutenant Beckley like you were a technical expert in airfield management and now you're a part of an organization that oversees RAWs and air traffic control and you're certainly not an expert in air traffic control but you're trying. Definitely not trying yeah. <laughs> how has that how does that change your perspective to look at look at not look down but look at your airmen and say wow these guys are stupid smart and can do a lot of things that I can't do technically wise. I mean, I'm surrounded by extraordinarily intelligent people on a daily basis. People who do things that I know that I, I can't do or that I've never done. And that's really inspiring to me. That makes me really excited. 
but but yeah, that there there is that aspect, especially being when you when I commissioned out of airfield management and into airfield operations, which is the flight. Uh, that airfield management resides in, it is difficult to not get into those weeds. But I think, I think if you look at it another way, and you are able to use that um, ability to relate to the airmen in your flight, I think that can be a, a huge asset and a really big benefit. Yeah, you, you have to quickly learn to trust and empower your NCOs and your airmen because you can't learn all their jobs. Um, again, a logistics officer in a, in a typical logistics readiness squadron, you're going to have seven AFSCs, and you just simply can't learn all of them to the SME level that they are. So you quickly have to find the folks in your organization that are good at what they do, trust their input, and empower them to make decisions on your behalf. And then your job is to kind of... Uh, keep the upper level management out of their business so they can do their job and advocate for them and get the resources they need. That was a big transition as well. Because when I was a medic, I was the technical expert. I knew exactly what to do when I arrived on scene. I knew all the answers. Now I arrive onto a situation and I have to listen to input from eight or 10 people to figure out what's going on because I don't know exactly. Well, but again, you can learn to do it. It's just trusting and empowering your people. And I think that too, that's going back to the OTS conversation. One of the things that you learn in OTS is how to make a decision without all the information. That was extremely difficult for me. I had such an instinct to want to wait till, till I had every single piece to make a decision. And that's not how anything works. So, <laughs> but they start teaching you that in OTS. <laughs> Nothing stops the United States Air Force except lightning in five <laughs> and indecision. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So what are some things uh, beyond like what happens in the, in the workspace now um, when you when you're trying to figure out, OK, what is my role? How do I function in this environment? Some of these things you realized coming in as an officer as priority, like no one told me about this, like no one told me I'd have very few friends or no one told me this part of it. Like what are like the golden nuggets of like no one's going to tell you this, but it's a thing. Um, so from my personal perspective, I did find that there were, you know, there's positives and negatives to every decision you make and depending on how you look at them. But there were a few things that were surprising to me. One was your, your social circle or the, the group of people that you can openly be friends with around the base and things like that shrinks quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, for instance, in, a, in a, the organizations that I'll typically reside in, they can be two, three hundred uh, enlisted members and five or six officers. So, you know, quickly your ability to be friends with people shrinks. And that can affect your social life if you're a very social person and you have to navigate making friends other ways. So that was surprising to me. Another surprise that uh, I wasn't really thinking about at the time was the service commitment that comes along with it. Now, each commissioning source has its own service commitment. The academy is five years, ROTC is four years. But if you're a prior, you got to look at how much time you've got in versus how much time you're willing to do because if you're trying to make this a retirement goal, you have to serve at least 10 years commissioned. So take my example, commissioned about the 15 year mark, uh, retirement at 20 is not an option for me. And there's some rumors going around there and some people may say, oh, you can go to 20, just revert back to your enlisted pay. That's not necessarily the case. It's a Secretary of the Air Force waiver policy. It's not very, very often used. Mostly you have to do your 10 years. So for me, I instantly bumped my time in service from the minimum 20 to 25. And it's just something people need to be cognizant of when they're commissioning, especially if they're at that 10, 12 year mark, because it's going to add on to their commitment. You have to really want to retire if you're going to revert. Yeah, if you're a prior enlisted and you're going to commission, you're going to get yourself into a situation where at the end of your commitment from whatever commissioning source you had, you're going to be in that tough decision window. 
10 to 15 years. And you're gonna have to decide, is this for me for the next 10 or am I gonna walk away from this? A little bit easier decision to make now for folks that have the blended retirement, but for older folks like me that had to walk away with nothing, uh, it was a no brainer I was gonna stay in. Yeah. Did you see some of that as well or different things? Yeah, definitely, I think um, now as a second lieutenant, uh, many of my peers are in their early 20s and I'm nearly 30. So there's a there's a little bit of an age gap there, which is, you know, something to think about. Your peers are all a little bit younger than you. Um, and, and like Captain Bohal said, your, your social circle does shrink. So that's something to think about. So the other thing that I think is really important for prior enlisted to note as they're on this commissioning path is that, um, for example, you, Sergeant Beckley, you're a tech sergeant, you have a line number for master sergeant. You've been in for less than 11 years and you have been toying with the idea of commissioning. Um, what you would be- Giving away all the secrets. What you would be, what, <laughs> what, what you're your doing. What was your last board? <laughs> Actually, it was, it was good. <laughs> Um, so, so, so you have the potential to be a chief, right? That's, that's a goal that you have right now. And it's something that you're I mean, constantly yeah, going to do toward. it, do the whole thing. Right, right. So, so I think, I think something that enlisted airmen need to think about when they're looking at making the transition is while you're starting in a new kind of, um, a new kind of hierarchy, a new rank system, there's, you may not climb as high or, or have maybe even as much, um, responsibility as you could have as as a chief and what i mean by that is maybe your maybe your goal is to be a command chief maybe you want to help a commander lead a wing that could be 5000 people that could be a whole lot of people whereas when you make that transition to become a lieutenant you're probably not going to be leading 5000 people no i mean if and i so, if i commissioned now i might make major lieutenant colonel if i was like really lucky and, and yeah and you'd have to work for it you definitely probably go over your 20 years i mean it, there's just things to consider um and, and that's why going back to thinking about the pros and the cons thinking about what's important to you and what motivates you uh, what where your sense of fulfillment comes from in your air force career is really really important i think there's a lot of people who look at commissioning are like wow that paycheck would be way better than the one i'm getting for what feels like equal amounts of work like what do, what do you have to say about that like if people are commissioning just for the money is that the right call no it's absolutely not the right call just to commission for the money but at the same time we are one of the only companies in the world that advertises everybody's pay so you know what your boss is making and and if, if the pay is an enticement, that's great. And, I, and I'll be the first to tell you, the pay is much better. And having come over as a first sergeant and a master sergeant, there are times where I felt I worked harder as a senior NCO than I did, especially as my first few years as a lieutenant. So there's a pay disparity there. So it should be a motivating factor, but not the only factor. Because when you sign up for the lifestyle to be a commission officer, it's a much larger commitment than that paycheck will ever offset. I totally agree. It, it is a, a doubtless benefit, but it's at the bottom of the list of reasons to reasons to pursue a commission. If, if that's your only motivator, I don't even know if that had been my only motivator. I don't I don't know if I had would make it through the even the application process. Agreed. I probably would have stopped because it was arduous. <laughs> yeah, which is actually a great transition. Um, so you you guys both commissioned through officer training school, but there's a lot more options than that. There's um, depending on where you are in life, ROTC, SLECPA, and O, and Academy. If you are in the civilian sector, like, can you talk about some of these programs? Obviously, not being experts, but having been people who have researched it personally. Sure. So I would, the way that I think about all of the different commissioning programs, and however many you think you've heard of, I guarantee you there are more. Uh, <laughs> 
I, I kind of break them down in my head in like three different categories. The first is um, like what I think about like a seamless transition. If you're active duty and you don't want to have a break in service, there are a few programs out there. Uh, one of which is officer training school, which we've already talked about. The other, there is a there is a um, SLECP program, which stands for Senior Leader Enlisted Commissioning Program. Mm -hmm. uh, there's two variants of that. One of them is just similar to OTS. There's a senior leader in the Air Force, typically a general or a MAGCOM commander, that will uh, select a person under their command to go directly to OTS. Uh, the second category is like ROTC uh, or ROTC types of commissioning sources. So you can look at programs like Scholarships for Outstanding Airmen, SOAR, POCERP, again, the other variant of a Senior Leader Enlisted Commissioning Program. And then there are even specialized categories within that ROTC, um, ROTC category, specialized um, commissioning sources like Nurses Enlisted Commissioning Program. The third category is direct accessions. These are, I think, a little bit more um, rare, few and far between, but Biomedical Services Corps is a great um, place to look for if you, if you have a medical degree and you're looking to do that. Um, I would recommend, though, anybody who's interested in learning about more programs, go to the education office for to figure out where their quarterly briefing is and when they have a, a briefing for enlisted commissioning programs specifically once a quarter. It's very, very informative, a great place to start. Yeah, and the so a lot of those programs, you don't necessarily have to have a degree right now. You could be close to having a degree. Um, and then the other side of it is the degree that you're you're going into a degree you do have kind of channels what officer career fields you can go into and the education office can clear some of that up um did you when you were looking at commissioning captain bull hall were you like yeah i want to be lrs or was that kind of driven by it was driven after so to to caveat on on what lieutenant said there are a litany of programs out there and the application process and the selection process for each one looks a little bit different but they do all have the same common factor and what they look at is they call the whole person concept. So there are things you can do now, regardless of what commissioning source you wanna to pursue to set yourself up for success. And the whole person concept is your academic standings. So if you're in school now, no matter what your degree you're pursuing is, keep your GPA high, 3.0 minimum, 3.5 to be competitive. Leadership and doing well where you're planted. So a lot of airmen I talk to that want to commission, they're like, how can I show leadership? I'm an A1C in a shop with five airmen. Well, perhaps you can get involved in a professional or private organization and step up and lead some volunteer events. And then uh, your, your off-duty time, how involved you are in the community. All that coupled with your performance reports and letter of recommendations, no matter what commissioning program you're going to go through, that's going to help you be more successful. For specifically for mine and the question you asked is, did I want to be an LRO? Uh, sort of. <laughs> so as you had mentioned, the degree you have can drive what job you can get when you're commissioned. There's an officer classification directory on the Air Force portal. And again, the education office has this information that will list certain jobs require certain degrees. Cyberspace is an example. So our cyber officers need to have some computer background. There are some AFSCs on the officer side that will generally take most bachelor's degrees. And logistics readiness officer is one. I, be, I believe airfield yeah, operations is, is another. Yeah. And so for me, and the way the test process worked, once I was selected, or I'm sorry, once I completed my package, I had to list my top five choices based on what I qualified for. And I had um, logistics first, public affairs second, maintenance officer third. I wanna add one thing to that really quickly. Needs of the Air Force is very important. So when you put in your OTS, so this is specific to OTS. When you put in your OTS application, 
It's like filling your dream sheet out for assignments. You can list all these great assignments you want, but if at the time the Air Force needs missile officers, you're tossing your name in the hat and saying, I'm willing to take that commission. Because number one, it's about getting the commission first, then getting the job. So it's just something to be aware of. I got my first choice. I think most people get exactly what they want, but it's just a caveat to toss in there. Does merit play into that when they're kind of like rack and stacking who who has been selected as an officer and then trying to put them into the right career fields? Does merit or their record help drive, okay, he's my number one guy. I'm definitely going to try and get him what he wants. So full transparency, I nor the lieutenant have ever sat on a commissioning board or know the intricacies of the selection process. I've gotten feedback from folks that have been close to the process, and the way it's been told to me is the board meets separate and racks and stacks all the applicants from one to end. That stack is then handed to our folks at the AFPC office who then apply the open vacancies to it. So yes, by merit, if you were number one and you had your number one choice as LRO and there were still LRO jobs open, most likely you would get it versus if you were at the bottom of the stack and you had LRO but those jobs were all gone, you're probably gonna get to what's left over. Uh, but again, I, I've never seen the process myself, uh, but that's how it's been explained to me. I, I've heard the same thing. I think it's important to note that you're applying to be an officer, you're not applying to a job. Mm. So you, you need to point. know that going in. You're, you're applying for your commission. Yeah, oh yeah, and the only caveat I'll say on that is there are some folks who may listen to this podcast that are specifically trying to be a pilot or rated, and that's a much different conversation. Sometimes they are applying just to be a pilot or Absolutely. a rated officer. Most of our conversation here is going to be towards your non-rated line officer stuff. Which makes sense, although there is a need for rated officers. So Tremendous if, need. In if the, you're interested, it's an, op it's an open market right now. Yeah, and the pool of candidates that physically um, are able to apply is very small. Mm -hmm. So if that is something you're looking for, it is uh, highly sought after right now. Absolutely. So in talking about being competitive, your packages for OTS, you said it took you a year, year and a half to actually build those. Um, how much of that time was dedicated to saying, okay, I haven't quite satisfied the mark to be competitive in this category? And how much of that was just strictly putting your OTS package together? I would say, I think my one of the biggest mistakes I made while I was going through this process and what perhaps added more time was I perceived the board to be the first obstacle that I needed to overcome in my process of earning my commission. That it was not the right way to look at that for me. Um, I think the first step is to do a little bit of self-reflection, look at the pros and the cons, and make sure that you're making the choice to start this journey to commission for the right reasons. I would say the second step is really spending time on making your package as near flawless as it can possibly be, because that is your one opportunity, your, your voice, to tell the board who you are. Uh, and not only who you are as a person, but your career accomplishments and then your future amb uh, goals and ambitions. You, you need to shrink all of that down to a few pages. It's really important to get that right. Um, and so to give yourself the time to do that. And then the third, the third obstacle would be the board. And, th and th that's the one that you really don't have control over. But if you focus your time and your energy on those first two steps, I think you have an advantage by the time you get to, to the board. Um, when it comes to like practical tips though, I think there are some things that that I did that were helpful. Uh, a few of those practical tips are staying organized, finding an organization system that works for you. Uh, specifically, I used color-coded systems. I know you did. <laughs> um, and it was like the Dewey Decimal <laughs> System of OTS packages. <laughs> Keeping things organized is really, really important. Uh, knowing what documents you need, making sure that you have the right documents, and keeping a, keeping tabs on which ones are completed, which ones aren't in the due dates. 
Um, I would recommend anybody who's interested when you start your conversation with your unit commander or your squadron commander that you make a six-part folder. If you don't know what that is, talk to a senior NCO or a CGO in your unit. Have them help you. Um, that interview process with your commander lasts 20 or 30 minutes. You're not going to be able to discuss um, all of your ambitions and everything you've done in your career in that time. So leaving the six-part folder with your commander is a really good first impression, and it allows them to look and answer any questions that they have later. And the last thing I would say is get a mentor or multiple mentors. So find a prior enlisted officer in your unit. Um, if you don't know one, reach out to your first sergeant. Your first sergeant can link you up with one, I'm sure. And then senior NCOs are a wealth of knowledge for everything. So find a good senior NCO, have them help you throughout the process. Uh, keep in mind, it is your process to own. They're there to guide you. There's nothing wrong with saying you need help, though. Makes sense. Yeah, the, the application process, we joked about this before we got on air, the the application process is so time-consuming and arduous that it feels like a vetting tool for people that really want it. And you will question yourself as you're doing it because the regulations are ambiguous, the location of information is sometimes difficult to track down. So as you go through this process, it's vetting your dedication to become an officer in a way. So multiple sources of information are good. I recommend joining as many forums, Reddit or Facebook groups about commissioning as you can to try to glean as much information as you can. And then solid advice, you got to find a mentor, somebody to help you through the process. But keep in mind, it's your package, not theirs. The onus is on you to complete the steps and to follow through. It's not anyone else's responsibility. And that's a testament to how much you want it as well. No, I'm kidding. And I think you both said earlier that you would be open to mentoring someone on base if they were interested. Um, I'm assuming the offer still stands. Yeah, for me, absolutely. I, I've uh, I've had the fortune. It's one of the greater things you get to do on this side is to help somebody commission. I've, I've been able to do that for a couple of folks. I'm completely open to it. Um, I'm on the global for anybody that's in the Air Force. Uh, first name is Dustin. Last name is Bohall, B-O-H-A-L-L. Feel free to email me directly. Uh, and same, I love helping people reach, you know, whatever their aspirations or their goals are. So I'm also on the global, Jennifer.Beckley. Uh, there's a number at the end of that, so make sure you pick the right one. And it's not Laura, that's me. <laughs> I am not commissioned. You are Laura. Um, and, and I would also recommend people reach out to the Career Assistance Advisor, Master Sergeant Maldonado. Mm -hmm. She's awesome. Um, and she'll talk to you about anything, but specifically you have questions about commissioning. That I think that she's a great place to start. And then do some, um, like, kind of self-help research, go to the Air Force portal, type in TFOT. There's a SharePoint out there where if you're looking at applying to OTS, that's eventually where you're going to put your package in. But it also lists all the eligibility criteria, the AFIs that you need to look at, the total force officer training guide, which is how to physically construct your package. All that information is out there. If you read it yourself and, and kind of do a little bit of research before you go talking to other people, you'll know what questions to ask. Absolutely. The, the amount of information that's available is just unfathomable, and it's really great to have someone by your side to guide you through that. So yeah, uh, reach out to Lieutenant Beckley or Captain Bohall for help on how to make your journey from enlisted to O, if that is what you desire, and if it lines up, if you ask yourself those hard questions of, you know, am, am I looking for a job or am I looking for the responsibility? Is it going to be weird when my spouse is still active duty? It might. That was something <laughs> we had to work through. Um, 
but just go check it out. Do the research. Get the right people behind you. Master Sergeant Dina Maldonado is a career assistance advisor. You can find her at extension 6363, or you can find her on the Global. The Education Office is also a great one-stop shop for tons of information about commissioning, or maybe you just want to finish your degree so that you could have the option to commission. Their extension is 4630. And of course, if you have any questions about the Innovation Lab or this podcast, you can reach out to Major Patterson Packy Hill. Uh, you can find him on the Global, and he's going to be your one-stop shop for all things Innovation Lab. Lieutenant Beckley, Captain Bohall, thank you so much for your time sharing your stories. It sounds like it was uh, sounded like a, it was a molehill initially, became a mountain, and now you're on top and, and living the good life. So thank you so much for your time. Thanks no problem. Us.